0: Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, welcome back to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond Podcast. This is Franz. I've got a couple of things that I want to bring you up to date on. The first is I have an opening for this summer in sailing from Almiramar, Spain, probably out through the Straits of Gibraltar and up to Sevilla, up the river to Sevilla. That's the route for this summer. The schedule is you will join me on the boat in Almiramar on May 12th. We're going to be spending probably about five days in the yard Getting the boat ready. I've got a few projects we need to work on. We need to do a a rigging inspection. We need to change the cutlass bearing. We need to install a new stove. I need to do some engine work. I need to get some solar panels installed. So anybody planning on joining me this summer needs to be putting aside some time to actually help get the boat ready and launch it. We plan on launching the boat on May 17th. And there's still maybe a little more work to do in the yard before we take off. We'll look for a weather window and start working our way down the coast. It's going to be a fairly leisurely sail down along the Spanish coast. We will probably go to Sueta to clear out of Spain and then clear back into Gibraltar, sailing across from Sueta well, I guess that's on the northern coast of Africa, right? It's a little a little enclave surrounded by Morocco on the African continent. And then we will clear into Gibraltar and then, again, clear out of Gibraltar and back into Spain and then go out through the Straits of Gibraltar, work our way up around Trafalgar, Cape Trafalgar, the famous Cape Trafalgar, where... Nelson was killed in a battle with the, uh, I guess it was a Spanish, famous battle. If you're a historian, a naval historian, you'll know that battle well. It was a classic Nelson battle, where against overwhelming odds, the British prevailed. However, Nelson was mortally wounded in that battle. So right around Cape Trafalgar is a town called Barbate. We'll probably spend a night there. Then we will work our way up to Porto Sherry, and then around the corner and up the river, the Coahuiva River, which is a gorgeous river. I've done this twice before. This is where I went up when I first sailed across the Atlantic, and my family joined me in Seville to begin my Mediterranean adventure. And we plan on putting the boat up in Seville, assuming I have a spot there, uh, around June around June 6th so the crew would join me from May 12th and get off the boat on June 6th or June 5th or even prior to that if you need to get off sooner. Putting the boat up is not going to be a lot of work this year it's going to be basically cleaning up the boat putting the cover on changing the engine oil and then putting it to bed for the winter. So if you are interested in joining me for this summer trip Let me know as soon as possible by writing me franz1 at medsailor.com. Most likely, the people that are going to be available for this crew are going to be in Europe because it's fairly difficult for Americans to travel to Spain right now with the COVID nonsense that still seems to be going on over there. But if you're European, it's easier to travel into Spain now. Because I'm moving a boat, this is called, uh, there is an exclusion for the purposes of conducting maritime business for getting into Spain. And I plan on using that for me to get into Spain. They still are not opening up Spain for tourism, but there is a carve out for mariners in conducting maritime business. All right, that's number one. So, again, if you are interested in joining me on this summer trip, you would join me in Almiramar, Spain on the 12th of May. That's a Thursday. And you would be getting off the boat either prior to June 6th or on June 6th. See, how many days is that total? Let me total up the number of days that is. Again, you can leave earlier if you need to. But if you want to stay the full time, that's 33 days. You may not want to put up with me for 33 days. I may be willing to break this up in the middle, probably near Estepona. I might let a crew get off in Estepona and take on another crew in Estepona, one of my favorite towns in Spain. So again, write me franz1 at medsailor.com if you're interested. Secondly, I'm going to be crossing the Atlantic in 2023. I have... Three crew openings for that passage. The information for joining me on this crew is available at the website, medsailor.com. Just look in the menu and you will see a menu item called Atlantic Crossing Crew Positions. I have three crew positions. The first crew would join me in January 7th, 2023 in Seville and get off on January 24th in Las Palmas, the Canary Islands. So the first crew is going to be joining me in Seville, go down the river, wait for a weather window, and then sail to Las Palmas. Along the way, we're going to visit a couple of the Canary Islands and spend some time there. This is a total of 18 days on the boat. It's 780 nautical miles. This is an offshore passage. It's not free. For the details on the price, go to the website, MedSailor.com, and click on the menu item Atlantic Crossing Crew Positions. The second crew will join me in La Palmas or Las Palmas, the Canary Islands, and sail down to the Cape Verde Islands, Mindelo in the Cape Verde Islands. This person will join me in Las Palmas on January 27th, 2023, and depart from Mindalo, Cape Verde Islands, on February 7th, 2023. That's a 12-day passage. It's 870 offshore miles. Again, that crew will arrive on January 27th in Las Palmas, Gran Canarias, in the Canary Islands, and we will look for a weather window. The weather for that time of year is about 62 degrees Fahrenheit, 16 degrees centigrade with lows of 51 degrees Fahrenheit, about 10.5 degrees centigrade. In Seville, by the way, the temperature in Seville in December is about 60 degrees Fahrenheit, 16 degrees Celsius, with lows of 40 degrees Fahrenheit, 5 degrees Celsius. So Seville is also very moderate that time of year. So the second crew will join me in Las Palmas, Canary Islands, sail for 12 days, and get off in Mindalo, Cape Verde Islands. The final crew position is the long one, the big passage. That crew will join me on February 12, 2023, and get off in Grenada on March fourth, two 2023. They will sail 2,167 nautical miles, over about a 22-day period. That gives us quite a bit of wiggle room in the passage. We should be able to do it quite a bit faster than that, but that gives us some wiggle room and some opportunities to uh, spend some other time and wait for the proper weather window. I only have one crew positions for each of these legs, so it's going to be first come, first serve. Just wanting to join me on the crew is not enough. We are going to have a conversation on the phone. I'm going to be doing a conversation, learning a lot about you and letting you know a lot about me so you can make an informed decision whether you want to join me on this trip or not. If you are interested in joining me on this trip, I have a sign-up form at the website, medsailor.com, and if it would be actually be medsailor.com backslash Atlantic hyphen crossing hyphen crew hyphen positions. But just go to the website and click on the menu item to find out more information. Fill out the sign-up form at the bottom. That will include your first name, last name, email address, and phone number. Indicate what leg you're interested in. Click that you consent to receive information. And I will call you. I'm not going to be going back and forth with a lot of emails, except when I need to send you specific information. I want to talk to you and get to know you. So if you're interested, go to the website, get a hold of me. I hope to fill this up fairly soon. And again, there's only one open position for each of the legs. Today, we're going to be talking to Don Spink at Blue Waters Insurance This was a recommendation from Jonathan Wexler that we get an update on insurance for 2022. So let's get on with that interview. I'm on Skype. Actually, I'm on Skype and Don's on his landline with Don Spink of Blue Waters Insurance. And we had an interview about a year ago about uh, maritime insurance. And I got another email from uh, Jonathan Wexler a few weeks ago saying, I have an idea for a show. And he listed a few questions here, and I thought, well, we we did an insurance show last year about the same time, but it, this is probably something we should cover on an annual basis, especially for sailors, and give them an update on the insurance market. So I brought my my expert, Don Spink, from Blue Waters Insurance, and I've been dealing with Don since I first crossed the Atlantic in, in 1997, 1998, Off and on, there was a period of time when I left and went to Pantaneous, and then Pantaneous eliminated all U.S. boats from their insurance coverage. And so I went back to Don again, and Don's been taking care of me for quite a while for my maritime insurance. And I've always been pretty happy with the service I received. I think I had one real minor claim back in 97 or 98 where I took off uh, some stanchions on a boat. With my bowsprit when I was trying to come into a slip in a storm, and uh, I think that's the only claim I've ever had. And you took care of that for me, and that was taken care of easily. I don't even remember what happened, but the Italian gentleman whose uh, stanchions I took off in his powerboat was paid off, and that was the end of that. The, the, actually, Don, this was a something on that on that claim. This was in uh, Sardinia, and there was a big storm brewing, and there was no room in any of the marinas for any boats. And this storm was projected to go on for about a week. And so I talked the marina into letting me come in there for only one night because uh, the, the slip was already committed later on. Well, once I did this damage to this other boat, the marina would not let me go which turned out to be perfect because I was able to uh, file the claim and it was paid off about the time the storm ended. So it turned out to be actually a blessing in disguise. So, Don, thanks for coming back on. Give us a little bit of background about you and your company and we'll go into some questions I
1: have. I've been in the yacht insurance business and the insurance business for over 50 years now. And uh, I've done all kinds of things. I've been an agent, uh, a surplus lines broker, an insurance underwriter at a company, several companies, as a matter of fact. And I've done everything from Fortune 500 companies to small yachts and uh, all types. The, uh, the interesting thing about the yacht insurance business is it's constantly changing and it, in recent years it's been more restrictive than anything else. The the problem in the business basically stems from a series of storms that occurred in two thousand seventeen and two thousand eighteen in the Caribbean, Texas and Florida. And they're just a bunch of hurricanes and they did The real number on a couple of fleets, actually it was about a half a dozen fleets, and parked in the DVIs primarily, but all of the Caribbean was hurt, hit from that storm. Uh, Lloyd's took such a loss from the damages of those storms, and then you have to understand how Lloyd's markets their business to understand how they had so many people writing coverage. Virtually everything is marketed in Lloyd's by the uh, Lloyd's broker. And the Lloyd's broker, there's many of them, um, has a program and he gets a number of the underwriters on it. You won't find a syndicate individually doing business with Lloyd's. There's usually a half a dozen of them on there. each taking a percentage of the, of the line so to speak um, problem is there was about there were well over 20 syndicates doing business in 2017 and 18 yacht insurance business and some of them were competing with each other and basically the way it would work is one syndicate had come up or one group would come up with a rate that they charge and the other syndicate or group said they wanted to write more of the business, so they cut the rate, and then the next one cut the rate further. And what ended up, Lloyd's had a whole bunch of yachts written at ridiculously low rates, and then they didn't track the uh, liability very well. You would think they, as as knowledgeable as they are about all the stuff that they would they would do a better job on it, but. There were so many syndicates writing, they didn't seem to add up Each, what all of them were doing. So they had this huge loss, and the loss was so bad that the chairman of Lloyds said, Lloyds is no longer going to write any more U.S. or North American yachts, period. We will continue to write. Um, excess liabilities, which they do for private employer use, but the problem with it is the limit that they write them is a million or more, nothing less than that. So they're writing excess coverage, and uh, that does not much help to to, uh, individual yacht owners. Then they also do, of course, the commercial ships and stuff like that, which they've always done, and they continue to do that. The, the, when when Lloyds pulled this back, um, a lot of the people don't understand. They did it for both direct business and reinsurance. And probably two-thirds of the business Lloyds always wrote was reinsurance. Reinsurance of syndicates and reinsurance of American companies. So you, you just follow this a little bit and you figure out, wow, they had a whole bunch of liability and the loss was terrible. Um, That's why the Chairman Lloyd said we're not going to do it anymore. So in effect today, if you have a private and pleasure use uh, yacht and it's a U.S. or North American or Caribbean whatever you want to call it, the side of the Atlantic, they're not going to insure it. All they insure for private and pleasure vessels is Um, vessels that are based, owned, uh, and and documented European or Australian or New Zealand. That's pretty much all they have. It's very small and just a few syndicates doing that. Other than that, they're out of it. So all the American carriers that were getting the reinsurance from Lloyd's they lost the cover and they had to get domestic reinsurers or other than Lloyd's reinsurers to help them out on their participation. So the the amount of restriction as a result of these storms was not just boats in the Caribbean or overseas or extended navigation as most people think. It was a whole bunch of U.S. boats as well. And that's why that problem has been around for a while, Um, hasn't changed much. Actually, I could tell you the podcast we did last year is about the same, the market is, with the exception of the U.S. market continues to be further restricted. Just an example, Geico, for example, um, did business for both their own meaning meaning customers written by Bogue US. GEICO owns Bogue US. That is their only agent they have left. They canceled everybody else, every one of them. All independent agents, no matter where they are, they canceled the cover. So that took a whack out of the GEICO cover, and at the same time, GEICO's reduced their underwriting requirements the age of the boats; they would write. They won't write anything over 30 years old anymore. Nothing, and uh, you know, they don't like the large catamarans, like a lot of U.S. carriers will not. So that's another problem. It just just continues. It's really tough. So I've always had good success insuring boats with not just Lloyd's but many European markets, and some others as well, and uh, the reason I do is is because they're used to insuring the kind of vessels we write, which are cruising yachts or specialty yachts, uh, larger yachts, that sort of thing. Uh, Most people would say, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, how about a go-fast boat? We do do those. We still do them. it to have to be with a U.S. carrier or a non-U.S. carrier because we can't get any to do it anymore um, so anyway the, the, the key here was now we have markets that we use all the time riding all of these vessels that are cruising or um, international boats why the heck can we get them those carriers to come into the U.S. They're knowledgeable about the business. There's certainly no reason why they wouldn't write U.S. boats, And then you find out here's the reason why. When, you, when you're dealing with the U.S. insurance market, you're not dealing with the USA. You're dealing with 50 different jurisdictions. Insurance is regulated in the United States um, in accordance with the McCarran Act, which is back in the 40s. It's by state jurisdiction, and that's the way insurance regulation is done. There are a few exceptions, but no need to go into that right now. They don't have anything to do with yachts. So each and every carrier that I'm thinking of using to insure U.S. boats, I can only do them if they're in the states for a short period of time. Otherwise, they have to meet the insurance licensing requirements of the various jurisdictions. So, uh, so we had a bright idea a year ago, and we uh, we got one of the good companies. We we're riding most of our cruising yachts. They're good size and they're profitable and all that. I said, well, why don't you file for approval in the U.S.? And the company said, okay, well, if we do. We can do that. It's just going to take us a while. And they started with the state of Florida, toughest to get approved in. And they figured on, on that if they get approved in Florida they could easily do a me too with the other states and they get approved all over the place fairly quickly. Well the only problem is <laughs> state of Florida's got some pretty tough requirements and they're doing all their due diligence and it's taken a while, it's gonna happen soon, but it hasn't happened yet. So I'm still at the same position I was a year ago about getting an international carrier to do US business. So that just means that the customers I have, most of the stuff I write, is offshore. It basically is, if it's over the neck of the world, it's going to be in the Bahamas or in the Caribbean or in South America or Central America or, you know, Mexico. The, uh, we do also a whole lot of transatlantic and transpacific crossings. Uh, we still do trans-Indian Ocean, including, most people can't find anybody to do this, but we do it: uh, transits up the Red Sea through the Suez Canal into the Med Sea. We can still do that. It's kind of tough. The insurance company I'm using uh, excludes any uh, problems from. Uh, the governments taking over the stuff uh, vessels, but that that's to be expected. And many of the boats we find now that are doing that are basically sticking them on containers and container ships and transit them that way. So that that works out pretty good. Okay. Um, now that's just an overview. Do you, you have anything specific for us you'd like me to?
0: Cover and, and so and, um, okay. So let me let me just explain what I think you said. So when I first launched my boat, I, I kept my boat up in um, up in Bellingham, Washington, or up in the Northwest, up in that area, and I just had Allstate write my insurance. It was ungodly expensive, inexpensive, cheap as could be. It was around two hundred mm-hmm. to three hundred dollars a year, and that covered me also up into Canada. And I thought, oh, that's great. That's not, that's not bad. I never had a claim, but uh, I thought it was pretty good insurance for that price. And then when I did my Atlantic crossing, I went to you, and suddenly I'm going from uh, $300 to over $1,000 for the coverage. And that's just the difference between domestic. Now, are companies, uh, like all states still writing basic boat insurance for U.S. sailors, and what are the limitations to the navigation on that insurance? Are you familiar with anything like that?
1: Well, yeah. The, if you take Progressive and Allstate and State Farm, the direct riders, so to speak, um, and even Geico now, the, the problem with them is most of the boats that they insure, they provide what we call an actual cash value policy. They don't do a green value. They don't do new for old on um, partial losses. It's all ACV stuff. And uh, it's done that way for the pricing they offer. So, And they're also set up, most of them, basically on what we call direct bill, where the client just goes to the Internet, fills out the questionnaire, policies issued, and sometimes reads send right back them a credit card. And they... Send your policy, right right over the phone, virtually. Um, that's a good deal if you're a, a small boat and you're not going anywhere and you're not in what we call a catastrophic area, a catastrophic meaning name windstorm. So if you're in Florida, the Gulf states, or you park down in the Bahamas, or you if you're on the West Coast, you go down to Mexico. They don't want to do that, it's, that's excluded. So that's difficult for anything other than basically somebody that boats sitting in a marina and they sit on the back of it over the weekend and have cocktails and don't use it. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's about 80% of the people, that's what they do, Yeah, you know, yacht people, most of them are not. <laughs>
0: It's, her, it's her their second home. they the kind home. of people I do. <laughs> so they're second home people, then. So then, then, let, me, I don't know. then let me go a little further. Oh, That's my wife calling. I'm just going to call her back. Okay, so um, now I've got to think of my question. So, okay, so uh, what I heard you also say is you can ride insurance on American vessels as long as they don't come back to the United States very often if they're sailing in the Caribbean or... Or overseas, so you're saying, if if I were to take my boat and say, put it up, uh, move it to Florida, the insurance that I'm getting from you probably would not be covering it because now that insurance company has to be licensed in Florida to be able to be able to sell that insurance. I might be able to stop in for a weekend, but I could not base my boat out of the United States with these with the current insurance that I've got. Um, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, we can actually cover them over here about 90 days. Ah, okay. And then that's the insurance regulation. They allow you to do it for about 90 days, and then then you have to be a fully licensed carrier. Or um, you could be a surplus lines carrier, either one, but, you know, it's that's just the definition of who pays the premium tax. There isn't any other difference in it as far as yacht and insurance is concerned. Okay. A licensed company... And the surplus Science Company, the same thing.
0: Okay, so so somebody is, let's say, my insurance that I've got from you, it's, it's written and my nav- navigation limits are basically out the Straits of Gibraltar and up the Mediterranean, out the Straits of Gibraltar and up to Seville where I plan on sailing. And then when I want to sail across the Atlantic, I call you and I say, I'm going to be sailing across the Atlantic, and then they'll do an endorsement for that. I assume there will be a price for that. and then uh, And then that's covered. And then once I get to the Caribbean, let's talk about the specific, because before we got on this conversation, before I called you for the interview, we were talking about in-the-box and out-of-the-box coverage for the Caribbean. So let's go through that and explain that to to
1: the listeners. The, The box is the area of the Caribbean where most of the storms occur all the time. It's latitude. 12 degrees 40 north to 23 degrees 40 north by 55 degrees west, 85 degrees west. So it goes from Barbados on the east to the western tip of Cuba, just above Grenada in the south and up to Georgetown, Bahamas in the the Bahamas. That's the box area. So if you're in that We can write it either in or out, doesn't matter, other than the price. If you're in the box, they're gonna charge you more for it than if you're out of the box, where they won't. And if you're in the box, they're gonna ask you a lot more questions about a hurricane plan. Okay, you're in the box. What do you do to protect the boat in the summertime (laughs) or in the storm season? And they'll wanna hear it's either laid up, tied down all the sails taken off everything like that or if it's in the water you got a plan to do that if a storm should come up or some other protection uh, some people just move the boat if you got a sailboat that might be tough to do but if you got a pretty good power boat that's not all that difficult to do you can get out of the way if you need to and I do have carrier up uh, clients to do both. It just depends on what they have in their situation.
0: Okay, so I'm here on Google Earth, and I'm looking for the magic 12 degrees, 40 minutes north, and that includes... So, out of the box would include Aruba, Caraco, of course, Trinidad, Tobago, Grenada, and uh, where else? Uh, And Grenada. North of Grenada, mm, not quite there. The uh, St. Vincent... A little bit of Saint just, Vincent, just the tip of the southern tip yep. of Saint Vincent. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, you said as far as the longitude goes, uh, it would be eighty-five. So all of Central America is pretty much. Uh, oh, is it south? So it's out eighty-five.
1: The- is the western? Is the western tip of Cuba? You draw a line down, straight down, you find out, well, that doesn't include. Okay. Um,
0: yeah, you're you right. Know, so Honduras all of that. So all of Central America is out. So uh, Rio, Rio Dolce is a hurricane hole. It's okay. As there's another mm-hmm. marina in Honduras. That's uh, La Siba Boatyard in Honduras is out of the box. So those are places that you could winter your boat and And be out of the box, which I, I assume is significantly lower insurance rates
1: Well, it's not as much as you might think uh, really okay. some companies some some companies charge a whole lot for being in the box. The company I'm doing is is charging you no more than fifteen percent more for being in the box okay so it's it's not that much.
0: But for people like me, that I, and when I once I get into the Caribbean, my goal is to spend January, February, March on my boat in the Caribbean, and then I'm going to pull it out of the water somewhere. For the simplest thing, simplest yep. thing for me is to find a good boatyard, uh, probably out of the box. But I guess you're saying it could be in the box, and then uh, put it up on the hard and go home and spend my summers in Utah, enjoying myself in Utah. But, uh, but. But I don't plan on going down. I'm, I don't. I'm not going to be flying back and forth if a hurricane's coming coming
1: through. So. Well, I, I have a lot of customers that are also charter boat people, and they charter boats year round. They got to be in the box, you know. Mm-hmm. So they have to they have to pay the premium for it, and they have to have a plan. So when a storm does occur, they at least protect the boat and. As best as they can, mm-hmm. and you know that. So that there are people that that live down there, and you know people say, "Well, I mean, many people live in Saint Croix." Yeah, Saint Th- Yeah, you'd be surprised how many people actually live there year round. It's uh, quite a community,
0: okay. and
1: not all of them on boats, but you know they do. What about most of the customers I have are like Franz? so they? They lay the boat up in the summertime. That's that's very common, and you find that they put them in places that are pretty good. there are actually places in the box in good protection. Uh, one of one of the best is Marina Puerto Del Rey in Puerto Rico. People say, wow, ah, it's Puerto Rico." Yeah, they have an unusual yard. It's it's a it's a hurricane yard they call it, and it's got. Um, pilings that are laid down for each side of the boat. They're, they 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 go for oh, almost a mile, and this is a huge yard. And they got all these boats that are tied down on both sides at minimum minimum eight ties. Some of them are 12, 15, depends on the size of the vessel. They put all kinds of vessels in there, and they they're well. I can tell you with the, with the storms that occurred in 2017 and 2018, very little damage, if any, happened at Marina Porta Del Rey. It just didn't happen. Not in the hurricane um, yard. People that left them in the water in the slip, yeah, they had damage, but not in the hurricane yard.
0: Okay, so I'm, <laughs> I just zoomed in on Google Earth and uh, looking at it, and they've got a huge yard. A huge yard. It looks yes. like it keeps expanding out uh, from the uh, from the in the water place mm-hmm. there too. So it's the
1: largest in the Caribbean. That that one. That's the largest yard in the Caribbean. Most people don't realize that, but it, it's good.
0: So when I get insurance for the Caribbean and I say, okay, I'm going to be in the box and I'm going to be putting it on the hard here, that would suffice most insurance companies. I mean, they may still charge me more for being in the box, but. That would be a good enough hurricane plan for them
1: as a general rule, then, is that right? I have I have people that actually leave their boat in the water year round in that particular marina and they have paid extra with for the marina that the marina will haul the boat and tie it down in the event of a storm. And people say, Well, why would they still put this pretty pretty uh Exposed. And uh, one of the reasons is, most people don't think about it, but think about the airline connections to Puerto Rico. Hmm, they're yeah. pretty good.
0: Yeah, they're easy. From the States.
1: That's yeah. why people do it. They want to get and go back and forth, and that's, that's how they do it. It's okay. Amazing.
0: All right. I just added that to my list of places because I was thinking I was going to have to go way south, and maybe that's a better option because you're right. Flying to Puerto Rico is easy. Flying down to Grenada or Caraco (laughs) is not quite as easy. (laughs) It's tough. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, okay, let's go over these other lists, these other questions I had from Jonathan. Okay. Does it matter? He says, what companies actually make an effort to provide coverage? You've already got that. You, You have a list of companies that you've dealt with that will do that. Uh, Regions that no one wants to cover. Are there regions that no one wants to cover that you're seeing, or can you get insurance pretty much for anywhere you want to go? Don? Hold on. I think I lost you. Oh. Oh. I think I lost you, Don. Did you hear my question? Not the last one. Okay, so Go ahead. So, so basically I I I got a question from Jonathan. He said regions, he said ask these questions, uh what companies actually make an effort to provide coverage and you've already pretty much uh, you have a list of companies that you deal with, and, and you are an agent as opposed to a direct rider. So you will basically go out and look for companies that will provide the coverage that you're looking for. And that's the difference between a direct rider like Pantaneous, who used to write insurance, and you, who are an agent, you'll find the coverage. Do you have areas or regions that no one wants to cover that you can't find coverage for?
1: Not as many as you would would expect. It's probably more difficult to... The the, the two largest problems I have, uh, I don't have them. I I can place them most of the time. Or questions from customers are, can I insure my boat in Florida? (laughs) And that's a problem. And I own a catamaran, and it's over... It's 39 feet or, or more, and there isn't an insurance company that will insure me. Not, not a direct or not a direct market, not a U.S. carrier, nor an international carrier. Why is that? Well, it <laughs> goes back to 2017, those, those hurricane claims. Most of those boats weren't tied down very well. And Catamaran, with a big storm... It's just like a sailboat. It's just, it's like a, a sail, not a sailboat. Yeah, same thing. Big storm comes in. They're not tied down properly. They just fly off and they're smashed and there's nothing left of them. That's a particular problem with catamarans. So they're a problem. Florida's a problem. Other than that, internationally, yeah, we still get we still get problems where people that question. Going into areas where the uh, the uh, <clears throat> the um, governments in, are a problem, like in the Middle East, that's a, that's a particular problem. They don't like Israel, although I can get carrier to do that if you want to go there. Um, same thing with Saudi Arabia, or you know, and when you go up the Red Sea, that's another problem. There's another situation that, that pops up is where people want to go into unusual areas and do unusual things. They want to go around Cape Horn. Or they they want to do the new Northwest Passage. You know, I, I get quests, requests for stuff like that. And you you got to be crazy. You want to go do that? <laughs> Too damn much ice, you're going to get stuck. Now well, there are some characters that do it. And, I guess you can do it. I don't know. Better follow a, an icebreaker if, you, if you're smart. <laughs> it's, it's tough.
0: You better have a steel hull too, because even if you're following an <laughs> icebreaker, you're going to have lots of chunks bumping into you. So that's right. Yeah,
1: yeah that's right. Um, and uh, we get, you know, we get problems with people who want to go across the Aleutians from the, they'll they'll want to come back from. Um, South Pacific and Australia and they, they get the bright idea well I'll well, just go north and go up there and go up the Aleutians over to Alaska and come down that way not a lot of people want to do that but good boat proper crew uh, yeah you can do that and we can get it done there's, there's not a whole lot of things I can't do but um, we run across some that we can yeah it's inevitable it's
0: I remember remember one time I was flying to Seoul, uh, South Korea, and we went right up over the Aleutian Chain and down there. It was a crystal clear blue day, and I'm at 30,000 feet in this plane. And I'm looking down, and all I'm seeing down there is whitecaps. And I keep thinking, man, it's really—if I can see whitecaps at 30,000 feet, it's a miserable day down there on the water. (laughs) You
1: better believe that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's talk about um the experience of the person buying the insurance. Does that even matter? Do you even look at that?
1: Well, absolutely. The um uh, I really don't have anybody that hasn't got at least ten years experience that comes to us. They they just that's that's a that's a starting point. And you know, you got ten years. You've probably got enough experience where you can go down the Caribbean, and it's fairly easy to do that, as long as you stay away from storm problems. You, you do pretty good. But if you just you just have minimal experience for that, and you want to go across the pond, that's a different story. And uh, it, it's we we do a lot of trans-ocean crossings, and amazing the experience that we find with a lot of people have. Um, I ask the questions, and they answer. I, I can tell within a couple of minutes whether somebody's qualified to do it or not. Just, after he's done it as many years as I have, you know, it's not hard to figure it out. <laughs> Who should be doing it? who
0: should not be? Yeah, so when I tra- when I transited when I did my first initial crossing, I'd had my own boat for about five years, but before that I'd been racing for probably another ten years. So my own boat's experience was five years and but I had a lot of experience on other people's boat prior to that. So you didn't even really question me on my experience at that point in time. So you're not necessarily looking for experience on your own boat. You're looking for experience that the person has demonstrated over. At least 10 years then.
1: Yeah. And not on your own boat. I mean, a lot of people, it's amazing. They say, well, where did you get your experience? Well, I got my experience chartering. Or I was on a cruise with a bunch of guys and we went across the pond a couple of times. That all counts. That helps if you know what you're doing. It's just, that's the, the simple matter. Find somebody that's got enough experience so they know what they're doing. Okay. And
0: you're saying it's becoming difficult, more difficult to find insurance for older boats. And my boat is definitely an older boat, Um, but you can still find coverage for that. Is there a point where you can't find coverage for boats?
1: The domestic market, um, you know, it depends on what you're talking about. The markets I use that are offshore primarily, or domestic market. The domestic market's pretty much given up on boats that are over 30 years of age. They're not interested in them. So, guy that's got a 35-year-old boat and boat that's up in the Chesapeake or somewhere like that, he might have some problem getting somebody to write that. It's, it's just just the way it is, and, and the reason for that is the claims on older boats turn out to be a lot. Not, not when it's a total loss, because you know you're using the market value of the boat is the agreed value if you're writing it on a, an agreed value form, but it's the partial losses that, that run up the claims, and uh, the policy we sell, the only one we're selling now is a an agreed value policy for total or constructive total losses, and then on partial losses. It's new for old without depreciation. No depreciation. Just the deductible. So what we're looking for when we write a policy on a boat like that is certainly need for an older boat, one that's in good condition, well taken care of, and you're not gonna have any problems with it. You know, it's big difference in the upkeep of the boat and who owns it and how well they've taken care of it. That's that's the reason for that. Um, I'm one of the few, I still offer this new for old without depreciation policy on the type of stuff that I write, but most people forget we're doing extended navigation and we got basically deductibles that are higher. So the, the little losses that don't, they don't appear or they, they don't seem to be a problem. And, uh, for it's 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 just the better way to do it. And it's coverage as opposed to one of these outfits. I could name a few, but I don't do that. I don't pick on my competition that way. But I've got one that's a competitor of ours, and they write a policy that's got two, two pages of exclusions and depreciation and then they break the depreciation. They don't just say depreciation per market standards. They take <laughs> all kinds of things, and they depreciate the sales. They depreciate the rigging. They depreciate the rudders. They depreciate the you know, the mass. The music goes on and on and on. Electronics, all that stuff. They actually have a depreciation factor they include in the policy. You see a policy like that, you don't want it. You know darn well they're going to nickel and dime the hell out of you, and even if you got a claim, yeah, and you're going to end up paying dearly for it. Yeah, no or you're gonna nothing's a, free, right? So. <laughs> no, you're going to end up. I, I had I had a customer one time. I not, not. I actually had him with this market. One of the last policies I wrote with him, and he had a it was a Florida boat, and he had a hurricane claim with about seventy thousand dollars and he ended up with twenty thousand dollar payment. That's all they gave Jeez. Me when they were done. They said, What the hell? They just appreciated the hell out of everything. Yeah. So of course his boat was over.
0: So Don, let me ask you a question. You've been in the business, you know how to judge people and judge insurance. Are you rewarded or penalized by and I and I wonder if in the the people you write with that they say uh, okay, we wrote with Don, these many policies, we had this claim. So Don knows what he's doing. He, he writes low low probability of claim business. Or does it make any difference? I mean, if you have a, a year where uh, you get a lot of claims on policies you've written and it's uh, not, let's say, from a named hurricane, but just bad people, will they start saying, ah, we don't want Don to write our insurance anymore? Do you get any of that sort of
1: pushback? Used to be. Used to you used to get, um, if you had a good book of business with low claims, you could get a market to give you a better rate and better coverage and that sort of thing. Those are that's what I call used to be. They're not around anymore. There's, there's so few carriers left doing the type of stuff we got that we take what we can, and I just pick the best company. Might be a little more expensive than some of the others, but it's worth it. And that's what I do. I say I, I sell at him and say, "You get what you pay for." And believe me, you buy that other policy, you're going to wish you didn't. Yeah, client.
0: <laughs> so let's talk so. about Jonathan's case specifically. Jonathan's a a, a a a UK citizen. He lives in Portugal. He bought his 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 boat is, I think in uh, in Sweden, but he's having it trucked. Down to Spain, and he said, "I know it's changing. I'm I'm personally. This is what he wrote. I'm personally. I'm running into some issues. I applied to a place in the UK, and they have an issue with me not being a resident, as did an outfit in South Africa. Because he's a UK citizen, but he lives in Portugal, and his boat is being shipped down to Spain. And I think he'll take it to Portugal from Spain." Do you see issues like that, or is that just sort of an anomaly that he's running into?
1: It's not unusual for me. We, we get those kind of risks, and we can insure those. That's not a problem. Okay. With our international carriers. <laughs> Nothing like the domestic guys. They don't even mask. He's probably dealing with a local um, agent over there that's got... A number, and then they have, since it's European, they've got plenty of insurance companies that would insure him, but they're going to put restrictions on it like that. The market I have doesn't care about that. They, they just care that, he's, that the boat is properly licensed or documented, and, you know, getting the guys at qualified risks. That's, that's basically it look at the vessel based on what it is, not what the guidelines are for what the uh, client should have. That's that's what you find. When you find things like that, that's usually a program that a kind of, you know, I, I call it a regular domestic company, but it could, you know, they have those over in Europe as well as over here, where they've got programs they put together that are more favorably rated. They're not individually rated, they're class rated, so to speak. And that's why you get that sort of thing.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I think we've pretty much covered most of the questions. Is there anything that you want to add that you think people should know about before we finish the interview? Just
1: be sure... Yeah, you, you, should, you should ask questions about the agent as well, when, when you're doing the kind of boats I'm talking about, the agent is probably the most important thing you get. There's not a lot of markets, as I explained, to begin with. Make sure you have somebody who knows what they're doing. You'd be surprised some of these offices, these agencies have that have people answering the phone and doing placements. You've got no more than a couple of years' experience. And yeah, They don't know what they're doing. It's a problem.
0: Well, I think, uh, let's talk about your company. Yours is Blue Water Insurance. Uh, you're in Florida. And uh, like I say, I think I initially came across you because you were doing a lot of writing for South Pacific. What was the name of the company? The uh, The Periodicals, Seven Seas Sailing Association, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I actually did a program for them years ago. And it um, turned out... <laughs> We had a whole bunch of older boats that were with that with that group. Uh, the older boats that were, the values weren't real high, and they, they had some problems with it. The, uh, and when you're doing an association like that, you always have to answer to the association as well. Because first thing guy's going to do when he gets a negative uh, response is, well, they don't want to cover me, and, you know, how come you don't want to cover them? Oh, it's not me. It's the insurance company. They don't want to write a fifty-eight-year-old boat. They just don't want to do it. You know, that's that kind of thing.
0: Well, how do people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about their insurance? Well, you
1: can you can call me at, at our number, and I have an eight hundred number. But you know, most people calling offshore. So the, the number is five six one seven four three three four four two, 743 and the easiest way to get even a quote is just go onto our website, and uh, I've got two addresses for it. It's either bluewaterins.com or bluewateryachtinsurance.net.
0: Okay, and I need to put those links in the uh, the show notes because I just actually while I was sitting here did a quick Google search for Blue Water Insurance Florida. And I can't find you in that list on the first page, so I don't know what what the problem is. So
1: we um, well we we did we did a thing with our website. We had a website that was twenty years old. <laughs> Literally, was that was that old? And it had all kinds of stuff in it, and I, I finally listened to the to the uh, experts on it, and they said you might be getting some traffic on it, but you got all kinds of problems, and Google's going to be kicking you off left and right. So you got to get up just enough. So I went ahead and did that, and boom. So they had to redo it, and it was just uh, just a mess. So I'm building up my contacts again. Yeah, once uh, I typed in blue, about
0: a year. Once I typed in Blue Water Yacht Insurance, you pulled up and then the website I'm seeing yeah. here is bluewateryachtinsurance.net and uh, it's in yep. Jupiter, that's in Jupiter, Florida. It. Okay, and I'll try to put a link mm-hmm. to the show notes and also your phone number in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Don.
1: Well, I sure appreciate it. All right. Thanks,
0: Hans. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay. The website for sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.
1: Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the... F- what the f- gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.
0: If you have any questions or thoughts and you'd like to get in touch with me, please write me franz1 at medsailor.com. And I want to thank all the patrons who have supported this podcast. If you want to become a patron, please go to the website medsailor.com and click on the link that will take you to the patron page. Or you can just go to patron.com backslash medsailor and support me there.